It is the Lonnie Swain Show podcast where we talk about life, love, relationships, entrepreneurship, empowerment, and we have awesome guests. We started a series called Hashtag WCW. Some people know it as Woman Crush Wednesday, but we are using it for women creating waves. So women who are doing awesome things in the workplace, in their community, in their life, inspiring other women, breaking that glass ceiling, and so much more. Today's guest is my personal friend and wonderful woman, Christia Donaldson of TGIN. Thank God it's natural. Hey, Marty. Thanks for having me on today. Of course. My pleasure. Now, before we start talking about all things exciting in your life, like the fact that, um, was it this year or last year that you transitioned from the corporate world to full-time entrepreneurship? It, It was actually this year back in March. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about your journey as a breast cancer survivor and so much more. But we're going to start off with a little game that I like to call either or. Okay. Have you ever heard of that game? I guess I could pick up really quickly. (laughs) So I'm going to give you two things. And of the two, you have to pick one either or. You ready for it? Sure. Sunrise or sunset? Sunrise. Credit card or cash? Credit card. Bath or shower? Bath. Passenger or driver? Driver. Cardio or weights? Ooh, yoga. (laughs) Look, you made up your own thing. Winter or summer? Summer. Car or truck? Truck. Wheel of Fortune or Jeopardy? Jeopardy. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or Martin? Oh, Fresh Prince. (laughs) International vacation or staycation? Ooh, vacation international. Okay, now in your partner, do you prefer intelligent or funny? You have to pick one. (laughs) <laughs> I love these questions. Intelligent. Older or younger? Ooh, I'm on the fence about this. <laughs> I like them older. We just talked about this, but the young ones keep you feeling young. Uh-huh. Look, both. <laughs> Take well, both of them. Um, hug or kiss? Ooh, kisses. Piercings or tattoos? Piercings. Ooh, really? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, your music taste, Tupac or Biggie? Oh, uh, Biggie. Amy Winehouse or Adele? Adele. Nas or Jay-Z? Jay. Okay. That was a good a good round of either or. So you got to learn a little bit about you. Some stuff that even I didn't know. I liked it. <laughs> All right. Now, so did you always know that you would be a lawyer or what did you think you would be when you grew up? If we're going to keep this just between me, you, and your listeners, (laughs) I did not always think I was going to be a lawyer. I went to Harvard College and basically, you know, was really hard on myself my freshman year to get really good grades so that I could go to law school. And then I realized I needed to chill out. Mm -hmm. Junior year, I went to go visit this guy I was dating at Morehouse, and he was applying to law school and taking the LSAT, and I kind of got reinvigorated in terms of thinking about law school again. So, okay, a a, a chance date or weekend, a couple of fun weekends at Morehouse, got me back interested in the law. So, yeah, I kind of went to law school, not necessarily for a boy, but Mm -hmm. for a boy. Okay, so well though. Yeah, and now if you didn't become a lawyer what did you think you wanted to do at that time Mm, i thought maybe like business 
type of stuff. So maybe like working on Wall Street investment banking, I have uh-huh. a very aggressive personality, if you will. So mm-hmm. I think that would have been fitting for me. Mm-hmm. So when did the love for hair care come in? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. So being from Detroit, growing up, you see all of this stuff, like, you know, watching Different World and Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. See, all these women with this long hair. So I think I had an obsession with long hair at a very early age. Mm-hmm. Just, like playing in my grandma's stuff and doing my hair, trying to get it to be crinkly and wavy. Mm-hmm. Kind of like Lisa Bonet or like Whitney Houston hair. But back then, I didn't know it was like a wig. Right. <laughs> Exactly. I didn't always weave and wigs. I just thought, oh, their hair is so cute. Or even like Lisa Turtle on Saved by the Bell. Right. I mm-hmm. girls from a very early age. Um, but what had happened is that I started working at my first job in after law school um, here in Chicago, a very prestigious law firm, and I was transitioning to natural at a time. It was like 15 years ago. So this was before all of the natural hair blogs and IG pages and what have you. And I felt like I had to wear this wig because back then, working in corporate America, braids were a no, locks were a no, teeny weeny afro was a no. Yes. You come in with your hair permed apart on the right hand side <laughs> and your little chin lace bob. Right. I was considered professional. Mm-hmm. And so, as a result of that experience, I tell people I was doing all of this to try to look a certain way wearing this wig. And I almost got fired from my first job. And after that, I was like, I'm never going to compromise who I am as a black woman again. And Mm -hmm. that's kind of where the passion came. I was like, you know, not only do I want to help myself, but I want to help others as well. So were you making up concoctions in your kitchen to kind of figure out what worked for your hair? Or did you say, let me get together with someone else and figure out how we can start a business out of this? I started in my kitchen. Mm -hmm. I definitely started in my kitchen. But eventually I realized I was better at the business and the marketing side. And so I found someone to help me kind of take what I developed in my kitchen Mm -hmm. and turn it into something that was sellable, if you will. Awesome. And so how did that journey start out for you getting into the business side of it? side basically I wrote this book and about my experience with my hair and also helping women to basically navigate you know going natural the transitioning process and it literally just started with me selling stuff out of the trunk of my car going all over the country doing you know book tours book fairs going to different churches going to different hair shows and talking to women about their hair and that's mm-hmm. what I did and as a result of that it kind of turned from hobby passion into you know the business that you guys know today mm-hmm. and how did you come to the conclusion that you would leave corporate America and leave your day job to pursue entrepreneurship full time so with that, it was like, you know, I was on the fence back and forth about whether to leave, whether to stay, that mm-hmm. type of thing. And what ultimately pushed me over the edge was getting breast cancer. And so I took nine months off. I was kind of running this company and working in corporate America. And it was hard. It was super, super hard. But it was all I ever knew because I had been doing it for so long. Mm-hmm. But and now wait, what's so long? How long had you been doing both? 
probably like since even though I wrote the book in two, the book came out in two thousand nine, but I had been working on it from like two thousand and six. Okay. And so at this point, I had been at my job, you know, this tech company for almost ten years, and what had happened was when I finally came back to work after having breast cancer, there were emails in my inbox of two people that had died, one of which was died from breast cancer and some guy who had died from something um, suddenly. And I was like, you know what, I can't I can't do this anymore. I'm like, if I'm gonna choose my dream, I gotta do it. It's like kind of a now or never situation, life's mm-hmm. too short. Yes. That type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so what were your biggest reservations about leaving the job? I think it was a couple of things. It was like, you know, you have this safety net financially that's there, like, you know, you have a mortgage to pay bills. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't have any kids and I didn't have a spouse or another income coming in. So it was just me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also not necessarily the fear of like, like not being able to get a job again. I knew with my credentials I could, but it was just kind of the fear of, well, what if what I'm doing doesn't work, mm-hmm. um, work out? And so mm-hmm. where would that put me? So it was just kind of my own fear and thinking like that, that got in my way. And I, I think I recall from personal conversations that we had after you did that, how much has your business TGIN grown since you focused it's, on that? <laughs> It was taking off before. I was like, why do I have to quit my job? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we're still, you know, doing really well. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's totally allowed me to just kind of focus on it all the way. And it has my 100% attention. And it allows me to like really hire a good team of people that, you know, make a huge difference. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been, it's been huge. And so if someone is listening right now and they are doing that, a role where they're working their full-time job and working on their passion and their their side entrepreneurial dreams what is your advice to them um, when they're considering taking that plunge into full-time entrepreneurship no that's a great question I think the main thing is you have to have a plan Mm -hmm. and you need to have some customers too as well so Mm -hmm. like you know, have a plan, set kind of goals for yourself or milestones that you want to reach before you kind of go all the way in and hit those milestones and then figure out if it makes sense. Like I said, depending on whether you have customers and if there's enough money in the business to support both you and the company. Because the key to remember is your business, my business was growing and it was growing fast and I was hiring people, but the business could only take care of the people that you know, was working there. It couldn't pay my bills as well, mm-hmm. so that's why I kept my job. But mm-hmm. when I took a, a leap of faith and jumped out there, it made a huge difference. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And now with the business, with natural hair care being a hot item, and now there are so many blogs and other products, what do you feel like makes TGIN unique? Well, I think the, the number one thing is that, like, product performance I feel like we deliver on our promises of softer moisturized and more manageable hair I think when the natural hair care movement was first getting started there was this whole promise of like you know perfect curl definition or shiny ringlets or wavy ringlets on you know hair that wouldn't do that and I think the Mm -hmm. thing that makes us different is that our customers trust 
that we deliver on our promises. I think also my own personal situation as a breast cancer survivor most recently also makes us especially in tune to what we put in our products because of what you put on your body and what you put on your hair has a huge impact on kind of your entire system, if you will. And so I'm definitely in tune with that more than ever before. And so how was that journey as a natural hair care line creator and CEO going through breast cancer, just all of the different transitions and losing your hair and things like that and kind of being so a part of the hair world? It was hard because how would I tell you? It's like, I tell people, yeah, when I first found out I had breast cancer, I really held out hope that I wouldn't have chemotherapy because that would make me lose my hair. Mm-hmm. But when I found out that I would have to have chemotherapy, it was just kind of like, okay, let's just get through this and focus on being healthy versus focus on having hair. Mm-hmm. And so the hair thing was never really an issue for me in the beginning, but it was definitely more of an issue once my hair started to grow back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, I don't know why hair is going to grow completely back. Been through so much, I was just happy to be alive. Yeah. Um, but in terms of running the actual company, you know, I had to take a step back and really rely on my team mm-hmm. and the way we were able to keep things afloat because it's kind of like when I look back in hindsight, it's crazy that I was like, okay, I'm going to go through cancer treatment and I'm going to keep running this company mm-hmm. instead of just like, okay, screw the company. <laughs> right. On cancer treatments. I know, I think that's like what what people find kind of interesting is that it was kind of like when you have cancer, you have to keep living. Like, we're yeah. all dying every day, mm-hmm. but like, you also have to fight to live. And part mm-hmm. of like, I think my ability, and this is funny saying this for the first time, is my ability to beat cancer is like, you have to, like I said, have the mindset that you're going to, to win and that you're gonna keep living. And mm-hmm. so whether you're running a company or you have three kids or what have you, it's like, if you had kids, you would still have to feed them, get them dressed, get them ready for school. Like mm-hmm. cancer doesn't allow you to just be like, well, I'm not gonna be a mom anymore. Same right. With me, it was like, it wasn't gonna take the fact that I was a CEO away from me. So I had to keep going. Everyone mm-hmm. who has breast cancer, you just have to keep going. Mm-hmm. What do you think is one of the biggest misconceptions people have about breast cancer? I think there are several. I think, okay, Wow, I'll give you some of them. One is that this is an old white woman's disease, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times you see these Avon walks and these commercials for breast cancer or people on Good Morning America, and you never really see people that look like us. Like, yeah, they may be sprinkled in the crowd, but by and large, all the celebrities that you hear talking about this are like 40 or 50-year-old white women, or even mm-hmm. older than that, people who have beat it and look back and reflect on it. And so for me, it was quite a shock and I felt somewhat alone to be so young and to be black dealing with this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of black women I'm learning as a result of my experience, they have had breast cancer. They've had people in their family have breast cancer, but black people are overly private. Like they don't Mm -hmm. believe in kind of talking about things as part of the healing process. So I think one of the misconceptions is that it is a older white woman disease. Um, I think the second misconception is that you hear a lot of statistics that black women are more likely to die from breast cancer, meaning like 42% more likely to die. But that increase in likelihood of mortality is due not to biological factors, 
are really to socioeconomic factors. Things mm-hmm. like not having reliable transportation to get you to your treatments or not having someone to watch your kid or the inability to take days off of work or showing up you know, at the hospital with a lump that has been in your chest for two years and saying, I think something's wrong. It's mm-hmm. more, those outcomes are really driven more by that Mm-hmm. Um, biological thing, as well as systematic things um, within the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for you, I know you have been vocal about your experience and you have been sharing on social media and things like that and telling your story. And so for you, has that been cathartic? And do you feel like that has also helped in your healing? Because, you know, what I'm learning, particularly with my personality, is that I'm a workaholic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the past, if things went left or something didn't go according to plan in my life, a relationship, you know, a friendship, my mom dying, it would be like, I just kind of move on. I just mm-hmm. kind of work through it mm-hmm. and move on. And for me, work is my way of dealing with their problems. For some black women, I'm learning eating is a way of dealing with their problems or drinking yes. is someone's way of dealing with their problems or what have you. And so I think talking about it has, I never wanted to be cancer girl. I still don't want to be cancer girl. I mm-hmm. want to be CT, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. But I realize every time people, you know, we post something about what cancer taught me or about my experience. Someone's in my DM like, my mom just got cancer and I don't know what to do. Thank you for sharing your words of wisdom about how to approach the situation or people who are going through cancer themselves that are like, thank you for letting me know that like I can focus on the what if and that I mm-hmm. can focus on all the good things that I have happening to me today because when you're going through a difficult situation, whether it's cancer or not, mm-hmm. you can spend a lot of time worrying about outcomes and, 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 and I did that, but most of the stuff I spent time worrying about in the very beginning of my diagnosis, like none of it happened to me. Yeah. So, yeah. And I actually referred a, a former classmate, a friend, to your page because she is now going through breast cancer treatment for a second time in her life. And I said, you know, I remember that you had shared your story um, last year around this time and that you said that people would come in your DMs and, and some people you even met online who were great support systems to you as well to share their experience when you were going through it. And what would your advice be to someone going through it for a second time or going through it for a first time right now? So I think for the people who are going through it for the first time, it's just like, you just have to stay focused on your treatment. You have to stay focused on what the doctors tell you. And you really can't live like six or nine months ahead. I remember when they told me this was gonna take nine months to a year of my life. Okay, you have got to be joking. I had just started dating someone who I felt really strongly about. I was like, you've got to be joking. But Mm -hmm. it was like, cancer taught me, you have to take things day by day. You're running all this test. You can't jump ahead. It's like, we have to run this test. And once we find out what happens here, then we move on to the next step. Mm -hmm. But one, if you are new to this, 
You have to live day by day, but you also, like I said, have to keep living. You can't become your cancer. It can't completely define you. You have to still remember you're a sister, a mother, a friend, a CEO, like, you know, that you had a great sense of humor. You're smart. You're funny. You know what I'm saying? You're sassy. You're black mm-hmm. girl mad. You still are all of those things. Yes. Cancer patient. You're not just a cancer patient. And I think it took me having a moment where, you know, I kind of lost my confidence due to my cancer treatment and I had a really important business meeting with Target where I was so shook going in there. And once I went in there and gave that presentation, they were like, oh my gosh, you so killed it. Like that was the best presentation we heard. Mm -hmm. I remember I was still a CEO and it didn't matter that I was a cancer patient, that it was like just another thing that was a part of me. It wasn't Mm -hmm. anything that defined me. Mm-hmm. And now, how do you feel were the best ways that people in your life supported you during that time? And what do you I suggest? Think, no, that's fine. I think just reaching out, everybody mm-hmm. doesn't want to talk on the phone. Everybody doesn't want you to come over with food. Like, some people want that and some people don't. But the key thing to remember, it's cool to express your support, but you have to, you have to, respect what the patient or the person who's going through this wants versus what you want to give. So mm-hmm. meaning like I was like maybe I didn't want to really talk on the phone and I didn't want a lot of visitors. Like I didn't want people bringing food over my house. But if you sent me a text message, I respond. There were times when I was like, oh I could have conversations and laugh and talk with people. But for me personally I was very prideful individual. I didn't want people to see me looking like I did. So if mm-hmm. they don't want you to come over don't keep pushing the issue. I think, like I said, the main thing is to just let people know that you're there for them and just kind of check in with them from time to time, see how they're doing, send them uplifting things. And if Mm -hmm. they don't return your call back, don't make it about you, always keep it about them. Mm -hmm. And now being so young when you were diagnosed, um, most people don't get their first mammogram until they're 40. That's the recommended age to start getting mammograms, things like that. What is your advice to women who may not be of that age to start getting their mammograms and things to kind of be aware of their health prior to that? Well, the main thing is just knowing your body. Mm-hmm. You gotta in your breast or in, you know, found by women in their breasts are non-cancerous. So you have to keep that in mind. This doesn't necessarily have to be a death sentence, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, two out of the 10 tend to be cancerous. But the point is, don't think that just because you're under the age of 40 and that you're not, not to say eligible for mammograms, but that you're not required or, that, mm-hmm. right, or required to get mammograms, that this isn't something that to happen to you. So the main thing is just be mindful of the changes in your body, know your breath, do your self-exams, and just continue to just be proactive when it comes to your health. Mm-hmm. And now in life in general, what would you say in your journey has been one of your biggest obstacles that you've overcome and how did you overcome it? Would you say it's been breast cancer for you or something else? Yes. Yes. I think this was probably the biggest obstacle. I think my mom died was the biggest obstacle. I think, you know, being fired from, or almost being fired from my first job was mm-hmm. an obstacle, but I think the biggest one was, was dealing with breast cancer, for sure. 
and and what for sure and what do you attribute to being able to overcome it I think my faith in God and my mental state and like I said Mm -hmm. just the ability to be like viewing life in the small moments in smaller increments versus having a long term view of everything like you know me and you are the same age when you're dating and like dating is a reference point it's like easy for listeners to understand when you're dating you need a guy that's our main guy you're like thinking 20 years in advance experiencing more peace and and some of the great things that you have experienced some of the wonderful moments I know from looking at your Instagram you've been traveling recently what is something that you think everyone should do at least once in their life that's been one of your biggest uh experiences of peace or joy I love that I think going out of the country for sure Mm -hmm. by yourself okay by yourself specifically Now, if you had to make a suggestion on where to take that vacation of all oh, your you travels, know you know where we're going. <laughs> Bali. We're Bali. <laughs> we're Bali. <laughs> now, going to Bali. Ubud or where? What part is your favorite? Uh, where would we go? I mean, we have both been there for the first time. I would say definitely go to Ubud, and I like to Norbeach, so yeah. Okay. What is your favorite way to waste time? Instagram. No. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. It does. But yeah, I, I, I need to read more. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I need to read a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I need to get back into that. It's just that social media takes up so much of our time and it's like... It, it sucks you in. It sucks it you in. It sucks you in. <laughs> sucks you in. So. It, since you brought up reading, is there a book that you would attribute to um, impacting your life in a major way? I think one of the best books that well, I've read recently, and by recently, like in the last few years, mm-hmm. is this book called Essentialism. Mm. Okay, I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, and it basically just helps to focus on things that are most important in life. That kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Okay. What would be the most annoying thing about having you as a roommate? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Only one thing. Oh my God. I think I'm kind of messy. Okay. And so. I think that's the main thing. I'm messy on these kitchen cabinets open. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that would be kind of annoying. Annoying. Something you wish you were better at besides closing kitchen cabinets. Getting off of social media and doing things better, making better use of my time. Mm -hmm. That's what I wish I was better at. Okay, well, you still managed to get a lot of stuff done, so people would argue. Okay. And what board game are you the undefeated champ of? Oh my God. <laughs> I think I was pretty good at um, what was that one? It was the one where you couldn't say the five words that you had to guess one of them. I can't. Oh, taboo. Purple. Yeah. <laughs> That's my game. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'll have to test your skills. I'll let you be my partner one day. Okay. I was like, oh my God. I love that game. <laughs> and love it. And the best or worst advice anyone has ever given you? Oh my God. What's the best or worst advice? Oh. Are you serious, Lonnie? So one of the worst pieces of advice that I got, particularly during my cancer treatment or before my cancer treatment, was my doctor told me, you know, I went to her when I was 35, had her this presentation on freezing your eggs, right? Uh -huh. And, you know, I told her I wanted to talk to her about that. She was like, oh, well, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. but I did it anyway. Uh -huh. And she was like, I wouldn't do it if I were you because I would only recommend that for a cancer patient. And the funny thing is, year two, a year later, I get what well, I have breast cancer at the time. I just didn't know it. Uh-huh. You know, the point is, a lot of women find themselves in that situation and they don't have time to freeze their eggs, which means their fertility could be completely compromised by their treatment. And so I think that was the worst piece of advice that I ever received. Mm -hmm. And it's just an illustration that, ladies, even though your doctor is your doctor, you got to listen to yourself and trust your instincts and know your body. Wow. What would you say your advice would be to other female entrepreneurs? I think the main thing is, as a woman entrepreneur in business, you've got to literally, like they say, work twice as hard to be considered half as good. And so my thing is just always be excellent when whatever it is you do. Mm -hmm. That would be my major piece of advice always be excellent love it love it love it well thank you so very much for taking no, the time to chat with me today where can people find you on social media and tgin products okay you can find me on social media at tgin ceo um you can find tgin products at sally's target cbs walgreens rite aid whole foods and sally beauty supply i think i started off with that our website is Thank God It's Natural, and Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are all www.tgi-natural.